0: Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to our Midweek Bible Study 2022 Summer Edition. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and it's great to be with you once again. Thanks for joining me. Today is Wednesday, August 3rd. We're continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians, taking on tough issues. Last week, we focused on Paul's stern words to the Corinthians about the proper celebration of the Lord's Supper. We were reminded that communion helps us remember Jesus' great love for us, and that he was willing to suffer and die for our sins. So we should be careful to observe it and respect it and be thoughtful when we partake. Today in part nine, we're gonna talk about spiritual gifts. And we're gonna consider the use of spiritual gifts and how they can be used to build up the church. Now I'll tell you more in a moment, but right now, let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name. Thank you for this opportunity to study about a subject that can be sometimes a little misunderstood. We are grateful for your word, for it is truth and life. So Lord, teach us today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. You know, when we think of spiritual gifts, we often think of talent and the most obvious things like speaking, singing, or writing. But there are so many more spiritual gifts that are just as important. As we're going to read in today's scripture, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses four through 31, you might want to turn in your Bible or Bible app to 1 Corinthians 12, four through 31. While you're doing that, let me just share this with you. We all have an important part in the church and in the overall kingdom of God. And if you don't know what that part is, our responsibility as the church is to help you discover it. As you'll see in this study today, gifts are best discovered in the context of community. So as we read the text, I want you to note how each gift builds up the body of Christ are you ready 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 4 to 31 now there are different kinds of spiritual gifts but the same spirit is the source of them all there are different kinds of service but we serve the same Lord God works in different ways but it is the same God who does the work in all of us a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other to one person Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First, are apostles. Second, are prophets. Third, are teachers. Then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. What an incredibly dynamic piece of scripture that is. Are you ready to dive in? Let's go. Look at verses four through six. They read, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. So here's the question. In these opening verses, Paul is preparing his readers to understand more about spiritual gifts. What is he saying? The answers that Paul has given to the Corinthians questions so far in this letter have focused on unity among believers, order in the church, and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. So as you can read in verse 1, the Corinthians were now concerned with the special abilities the Spirit gives. Paul says that God's people receive many kinds of gifts, and no one gift is better than another. All the gifts come from one source and are to be used for one purpose, and that is building up of the body of Christ. So that begs another question. Can we earn these spiritual gifts? Can we ask for specific ones? And what is our responsibility regarding them? Spiritual gifts are just that, my friends. They are gifts. They are not earned. They are not given to believers asking for a specific one. They are not chosen by people. God and God alone administers the gifts among his people. God, not believers, control the gifts. Each believer then is responsible to seek God's guidance in discovering his or her particular gift or gifts and then discovering how best to use them for God's purposes. Number two, verse seven reads, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. The question is, who has been given spiritual gifts and for what purpose are they given? First, Paul says that each believer is given a spiritual gift. So what does that mean? One way to describe a spiritual gift is the ability to do something that is beyond the normal human capacity. In other words, a spiritual gift is a specific supernatural ability. This doesn't mean something the secular world would call a superpower or a magical skill. However, that gift manifests itself in the life of a Christian, often becoming noticeable to other people. Paul will list some of those abilities in the following verses. The other revelation in this verse is that these verses are given to Christians by God for the common good. The purpose of the gifts is to build up the church. Can't emphasize that enough. To build up the church and to serve other Christians. Now before I get to the next verse and question, I want to share a note with you here. In the following verses, starting with verse 8 and following, Paul begins to describe some of these specific gifts. This first list contains nine gifts, and it is not exhaustive. It's merely illustrating many of the different kinds of spiritual gifts. The Spirit gives many, many gifts, and while the Bible doesn't contain a definitive list of all spiritual gifts, other passages in the New Testament do talk about additional gifts. You might wanna check out Romans 12, six through eight, Ephesians 4:11 first peter 4 10 and 11. now with that in mind let's look at verse 8 number 3 verse 8 it reads to one person the spirit gives the ability to give wise advice to another the same spirit gives a message of special knowledge here's the question in this verse paul talks about two kinds of spiritual gifts what are they and what do they mean first paul says again that both gifts are given by the same spirit but they're slightly different the first gift is the ability to give wise advice. The second is a message of special knowledge. The gift to give wise advice doesn't occur in any of the other lists of gifts, which has led some scholars to think that the gift was especially important and more prominent for the believers in this Greek city of Corinth, where the issue of wisdom was causing a lot of discussion and division. To another is given the gift of a message of special knowledge, The message of special knowledge involves the supernatural ability to offer insight into God's truths in a way that helps others. The message of special knowledge might be understood as the ability to proclaim God's revelation to those who need to hear it, or to offer understanding of how it applies to specific areas of life. Number four, verse nine reads, the same spirit gives great faith to another and to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. Here's the question. In this verse, what two spiritual gifts are listed here, and what do they mean? All Christians have faith because the faith that brings a person to salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. Some people, though, have the spiritual gift of faith, which is an unusual measure of trust in the Holy Spirit's power. This kind of faith is a supernatural trust in God's miraculous power for specific situations. This gift of faith could also be manifested in believers' willingness to face persecution and martyrdom without renouncing what they believe. The gift of healing is a visual manifestation of the Spirit. The power to heal the sick has been manifested through Peter and Paul and other apostles. You might want to check out these scripture references, Acts 3, 6-8, Acts 5, 15 and 16, Acts 9, 33 and 34, and Acts fourteen eight through 10. The gift of healing provides the supernatural ability for the person who possesses the gift to restore health or even hold off death. This is not to be confused with the ability to practice the medicinal arts or sciences. It's also important to note that the gift of healing is given not to the person healed, but to the person who does the healing. Some people want to say that they've received the gift of healing for an illness that they've had, but the gifts are given to be used to benefit others. Number five, verse 10 says, he gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. Still, another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what's being said. Here's the question here paul continues listing five supernatural gifts distributed to christians by the holy spirit what are they and what do they do i want to preface my answer by saying that among believers today some churches see the gifts of this list as belonging primarily to the era of the apostles other church groups believe they are distributed in practice today but all agree that these are gifts empowered by god through the holy spirit And available only to those who are in Christ now the first gift Paul mentions is the ability to perform miracles this may include the ability to heal in some cases and yet it also goes beyond that to supernatural displays of God's power for purposes of confirming the gospel message as well as enacting God's judgment next is the ability to prophesy this is usually described as delivering a message from God perhaps with force and conviction And it doesn't just refer to predicting the future. It can also mean giving a message received from God to the community of believers. As with the gift of faith, the ability to share one's faith with power is available to everyone. But to some, the Spirit gives a special measure of this gift. Next, the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. This ability to distinguish between spirits may be related to prophecy. This seems to be a supernatural ability to tell whether a speaker truly represents God or is a false or demonic spirit attempting to mislead God's people. Next is speaking in unknown languages, and this includes the ability of a spirit-powered believer to speak in a language not known to him or her. The gift was first seen at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verses 1-13. to 13. It allowed Peter to preach the message of Jesus to people in their own native language without him knowing what that language was prior to. And then interpretation. Interpretation is the supernatural ability to listen as someone speaks in a language not known to the interpreter or usually to the speaker and to translate it so that people present can hear it in their own language. Number six, Verse 11 says, it is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So here's the question. Who does this verse say distributes all spiritual gifts and decides who gets which one? And why is that important for us to know? Paul repeats once more, as he has throughout this whole chapter, that all these gifts are given by the Holy Spirit of God. He is the unifying factor in all spiritual gifts. Now Paul adds that the Holy Spirit is the one who decides to whom each gift will be given. The point of Paul's emphasis is that nobody selects their own spiritual gifts. Nobody generates the power behind the spiritual gifts. Nobody earns the gifts. Because of that, nobody can take credit for which gift or gifts they receive from the Spirit. Paul is urging the Corinthians to understand that the gifts are not meant to glorify the people who receive or use them, they are intended to be used to serve other believers and to bring glory to God. This is a key concept in the idea of Christian unity, that we can be differently abled, differently blessed, and differently assigned, yet serve with equal value, purpose, and meaning. Number seven, look at verse 12a, the first part of verse 12. It says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body. The question I have is this, how does this verse relate to what Paul has just described about spiritual gifts in the previous verses? Here, Paul uses the illustration of a human body to show how Christians, each with their individual spiritual gifts, are intended by God to work together. Every human body is one thing, one body, one person. This is true even though the body is made up of widely different parts or members. Each part of the body contributes to the overall functioning of that body. Paul says the same is true of the body of Christ. Each believer is one member of Christ's body on earth. Each of us is defined by the spiritual gifts given to us and the service they allow us to provide to the church. This is a key teaching in Christianity, folks. Fellow believers are equally valuable in the eyes of God and in their contributions to the function of a healthy church. Now, while it's true that some have more honorable roles, a concept Paul will discuss later, that does not make those roles more meaningful. Number eight, let's jump to verse 22. Verse 22 says, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Here's the question. Why is this an important perspective for us to have regarding our place in the body of Christ? These people may not always be visible, always up front exercising their gifts, but they are in the background. If they're using their God-given gifts, they're actually most necessary to the body. Those with the visible gifts could not function to their full capacity without the other members utilizing their gifts. The pastor in a church may be well-versed and a great speaker, but he won't be effective if the other members are not utilizing their gifts to greet newcomers warmly, to make sure the facility is clean and ready to go, if they don't plan the worship service, if they don't make sure equipment is working properly to follow up with people with needs or to pray faithfully for the ministry. The church needs the visible members, but in reality, the less visible members are the most necessary ones. Amen to that. Number nine, let's look at verses 23 through 26. They say, And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all parts are glad. Here's the question. What is Paul's point with these verses? Go back to verse 23. In verse 23, this is a direct reference to the sexual parts of the body, the parts that we clothe with greatest care. The point of this verse is that appearances are deceiving. All parts of the body are necessary, even the ones that should not be seen. No one should dismiss anyone else as unimportant in the body of Christ. Neither should undue prominence be given to anybody. Now, as verse 25 says, this makes for harmony among the members. The harmony Paul wanted had already been discussed back in chapter one, verse 10. Such harmony happens only when all the members, the weak and the strong, the flamboyant and the quiet, the upfront and the behind the scenes, use their gifts, appreciate one another and share in one another's honors and suffering. As with the physical human body, One part's suffering causes every part to suffer. When a thumb is hit with a hammer, the whole body knows it. Believers should share one another's burdens in order to help lighten them. There's no room for jealousy or strife when one person receives praise. Instead, all should be glad. Again, amen to that. Number 10, verse 27 says, All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here's the question. Why is this verse important for every believer to know? Folks, this is a global statement. It refers to all believers across the world. As new believers come to salvation in Christ Jesus, they join that body, receive a gift from the Holy Spirit, and are used by God. So each and every believer in the body of Christ is necessary and important. No believer is unimportant. Each one has a gift to share in order to make the body function more effectively. Number 11. Verse 28 says, here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers. Then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Here's the question. Having established believers' unity in their diversity, Paul goes on to describe this diversity by a list not complete, of various offices and gifts. What are they and what's their function? The order of these gifts in this verse is really, really important. The first three gifted people listed are those who proclaim the gospel and teach the truth. There would be no church without those who bring the message and teach the truth. So Paul specifically ranked them as first, second, and third to show their prime importance above all the other gifts. First are the apostles, The apostles included the 11 men Jesus called without Judas Iscariot, plus others who are called apostles, such as Paul himself, Matthias, Barnabas, Jesus' brother James, Silas, and Andronicus and Junius. Now, it seems that the qualifications for being an apostle were to have seen the risen Christ, to have been sent out by Christ to preach the gospel, and to work on the behalf of the kingdom, building its foundation. Paul also noted signs and wonders and miracles as marks of a true apostle, 2 Corinthians 12, 12. There were only a few apostles who brought the gospel message to the world. That's just astounding to me. Second, God appointed prophets to the church. These people had special gifts in ministering God's message to his people. At times, they would foretell the future, but more often, they exhorted, encouraged, and strengthened God's people. God spoke through prophets, inspiring them with specific messages for particular times and places. And third, while the apostles and prophets have a universal sphere of function, in other words, the church as a whole, the teachers probably served in the local churches. They needed to be trustworthy and faithful stewards of the truth of the gospel. People in that day did not have their own Bible to read, so the teachers in the local congregations continued to teach the believers in the truth after the apostles had moved on to other cities. Now, the rest of Paul's list reveals other gifts. Some of these we've talked about in previous discussion questions. Some do miracles, verse 10. Some have the gift of healing, verse 9. And some help others. Perhaps they had an unusual compassion and caring. And others can get others to work together to help the church run smoothly. Now, it's significant that Paul places last the gift of speaking in unknown languages. This was one gift that seemed to have caused much pride and division in the Corinthian church. Chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 and verse 10, as we've talked about. Paul placed it as a relatively unimportant gift when compared to those who share the gospel or serve in more tangible ways. Number 12, verses 29 and 30 say, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not, Paul says. Here's the question. What is Paul's point by asking all these questions? And do they demand an answer? These are what's called rhetorical questions, folks. And no, they do not demand an answer. Now, not everyone in every church falls into one of those categories. Not everyone in the church has the same gift, nor can anyone claim to have all the gifts. Believers in the church must see themselves not as individual plants, but as an entire garden under the cultivation of God's Spirit. In the church, believers' strengths and weaknesses can balance each other. Some people's abilities compensate for other people's deficiencies. Together, all believers can build Christ's church. But all these gifts will be worthless if they are used begrudgingly, out of duty, or if they're exercised without love. And now, here's our last question for today. Verse 31a, it says, So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. That sounds great, doesn't it? Especially after all these amazing verses. Well, here's the question. What does Paul mean that we should desire the most helpful gifts? In other words, in the desire to be helpful in the body of Christ, we should seek the power of the Spirit of God. Too often this verse is only applied individually when the emphasis should be on the church as a body. The church ought to desire the most helpful gifts so that it can function well. It would be incorrect to interpret Paul as saying desire the most helpful gifts to mean seek the gifts from the top of the list. Paul has been stressing diversity of gifts and the necessity for the gifts to be interactive with the body. So He could not have excluded healing or tongues as lesser gifts. In addition, he could not have meant for the people to desire to be apostles. That would be impossible because only a few chosen men could claim that title. The believers should desire gifts that benefit everyone, as opposed to an unintelligible tongue that, without interpretation, helps no one but the speaker. The Corinthians had to get their focus off of the gift of speaking in ecstatic languages. Instead, they needed to see the value in all the gifts, especially those that helped others. Amen to that. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of today's study. We've had a long discussion, a lot of scriptures, been talking about spiritual gifts. Let me recap briefly what we just talked about. We discussed spiritual gifts and how they can be used to bring people together in service to God. And we were reminded that we each have something to contribute in helping to build up the body of Christ. Next time, we're going to be studying 1 Corinthians 12, picking up with verse 31b, and moving over to chapter 13, verse 13. Ah, you know 1 Corinthians 13. It's called the love chapter. We're going to focus on the greatest gift of all, the gift of love, and how it can be fostered in our relationships. Thank you so much for taking time to join me today. What an honor to be with you, truly. I appreciate it very much. To God be the glory for everything. Please take care. Have an amazing rest of your day or week. We'll see you right back here next time. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www. Dot WHCCNB.org. Word of Hope Christian Church, real people, a real God, real hope.